0: I think we can all agree that being a white savior is not a good thing. But how do we be Christ-like in this endeavor? In other words, how do we imitate a savior without becoming a savior ourselves? This is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today I want to look at the concept of white saviorism. theme song this is the catchy theme song this question has bothered me for a while i'm a missionary and a lot of missionaries are criticized for being white saviors and so i look at myself and i try to be as critical as i can and ask the question am i a white savior like do i fit into this category and if so What do I do about it? What do I need to change? And I think at the outset, one of the reasons why that's kind of a difficult question to approach is because what I'm basically doing is I'm taking a more secular concept, white savior, and then I'm applying that to biblical ethics. Basically, I'm combining two ethical systems and that can get pretty messy sometimes. So I think it's important to kind of simplify and define what a white savior is and then ask the question, does the bible teach against that too because if it does then we can kind of have this neat ethical framework to operate within the bible instead of trying to combine secular ethics with biblical ethics and then arrive at one neat conclusion that's really hard to do and so let's examine first what a white savior is and then ask the question does the bible teach against that because if so then we can approach this much more easily And so what exactly is a white savior? Like what image comes to mind when you hear that term? Well, really it's just a white person who enters into another country or another culture where the people are not white. And then the white person believes themselves to be the solution to whatever their problems are as an inherent property of their whiteness, their wealth, their education, their Western culture, whatever it is, they see themselves as the solution. And so they help in a manner that places the non-white people underneath them and basically says to them, I'm here to help you. I am the answer to your problems. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to save you. And so this can be anything from a high schooler on a mission trip to a white family looking to adopt. This can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. But outside of the humanitarian missions world, a classic example of this white savior complex is the movie The Blind Side. And now white people tend to love this movie and black people not so much. And the reason is because the white person is kind of the central focus of the movie. It's the white person who comes and rescues the poor helpless black boy and then helps him become a superstar. But the person who really should be the main character in the movie instead sits on the sidelines no pun intended. And the the focus of the movie is really on this rich white person who, you know, sacrifices her time and her energy and her money to help this poor black boy. And she's really the main character of the movie instead of the boy who's the superstar NFL player who I don't even think has a lot of lines in the movie. And so that's kind of where the white savior complex comes in. And we can be blind to that as white people because we think, yeah, like that, that's how it works. That's how helping people works. And I think when that's the case, we can kind of lose focus on the ones we're helping and they kind of take a back seat to the central focus, which is the white person who is the savior. But let's take a moment to look at what are the specific characteristics that we tend to see within a white savior. So to begin with, white saviors don't tend to listen to the needs of those they're helping, but instead they kind of impose their own plans on those they're trying to help and I guess you could just say they run the show. And I mean, short-term mission trips would probably be a pretty good example of this, sadly. A lot of short-term trips want to do something tangible. They want to build something. They want to have something they can take pictures of and then go home and show their supporters and donors and show their church and then say, this is what we did. But a lot of times, physical projects aren't really needed or even when they are needed, they don't really need people to travel across the ocean to do that because a lot of times it's like really basic work like construction or painting or something like that. And if you were to pay a local to do that, it would be way, way cheaper and the church could easily send the money for that, like a fraction of one person's plane ticket would easily pay for all the costs. And so I've joked before, and I've called short-term mission trips the lowest quality, most expensive manual labor in the history of the planet. And I'm kind of serious and I'm kind of joking, but the point is, this is kind of the white savior complex. This is the pride that is often inherent to missions. It involves people from privilege going into a poor area and then kind of imposing their own plans or doing something to kind of make themselves feel good rather than really considering the needs of the people they're helping. And usually the takeaway is about how great they feel for doing the work rather than how much they actually helped. And if the goal were helping, I think the absolute last thing you would wanna do is send a bunch of unskilled high schoolers over to a third world country to perform manual labor. I think in a lot of ways that just kind of perpetuates the white savior complex, which places yourself at the center of the work that's being done rather than considering what the locals actually need. And so I guess that's just like self-centeredness. And so I guess I would say that does in fact violate biblical principles. So I would say that that type of work is not necessarily supported by scripture. So, what are some more elements of what it means to be a white savior? Well, I think that white saviors often place themselves at the center of attention. They kind of make it about them. They make it about the pictures they take of themselves and they kind of center the work around themselves. And I think it's pretty easy to understand why that's wrong. And Jesus teaches explicitly against that in Matthew 6, where he talks about practicing your righteousness before others so that they might praise you. And even if these people aren't practicing their righteousness in order to be praised by others, the point is it's still about them. They make it about their contribution and what they give rather than about whether or not they actually helped. And so I think that's part of what being a white savior is. And I think the Bible definitely teaches against that. I think that white saviors also tend to have pretty unrealistic perceptions of their own gifts and their own limitations. And so I guess an extreme example of that would be, uh, I don't remember her name, but that girl who started a clinic in Uganda and like killed people because she wasn't medically certified to be running a clinic, you know, something like that where it's almost like a game it's almost like you kind of assume that you're better than the poor people at literally everything because you're rich and because you're educated and that's kind of the white savior complex you just think that by definition you are better than poor people and again that's just kind of ignorant that's very naive and i think the bible would clearly teach against that approach to helping people thinking you're better than them and elevated above them White saviors also tend to maintain a position of power by creating dependencies. So rather than empowering the people, they tend to go in and actually just act as their savior. And then they, in the process, create dependencies because they give, but they don't enable the people to provide for themselves. And in doing so, the people become dependent on the gifts that they're giving. So for example, feeding someone you just keep feeding them, and then you keep that dependency going. And there could be a lot of reasons why you do that, everything from just the way it makes you feel to be giving and you don't want to lose that, all the way to you just don't trust the person to provide for themselves, or maybe you don't think that the person will ever be able to. And so regardless what the reason is, there's a dependency created there. And again, I think that would just violate basic biblical principles, because as the writers of When Helping Hurts point out, we were created to work and we were created to have that dignity of providing for ourselves. I think that was one of the best points they made in that book. They, they pointed out how even the poor are made in the image of God. And part of being made in the image of God means you want to give back, you want to work and you want to be the one that provides for yourself. And that's part of what it means to give people dignity and to value them. And so I think the Bible again would teach against that. Also, I think white saviors tend to view the poor as those who need rescuing. And I think this would go back to kind of just like the perspective of mainly Africa and like all these nations in need. And I think this would go back to like the seventies, eighties. I don't know. I wasn't alive then, but I think this was like a thing back then too. And you would see these commercials on TV of these like poor, sad, helpless children and families. And you know, if you don't give to them, who will without us, the rich and the privileged, these people will die. And so you should give money because if you don't give money, they'll all die. And I think that's just kind of the culture a lot of us were raised in, is that we are the fortunate and those are the less fortunate. And I kind of grew up with this idea that poor people were really weak and helpless and they needed us. And it wasn't until I started living with them that I realized I was really weak and if I didn't have a bunch of money, I would be super helpless because I was raised in an environment where everything was provided for me and these people were not. And they're like literally some of the strongest people on the entire planet. Like I always joke and say this, but I think this is actually true. If we had an apocalypse and we lost all technology, Africa would take over the world. But I always had this idea growing up that the poor were just these like helpless, like in the corner whimpering, like someone please come and provide for me, please come and rescue me. And that's just really not the case. And I think we see that sometimes in the way that, I guess more white savior-ish people go about helping is they don't really allow the poor to participate in helping themselves. Instead, they just kind of do it all for them because they believe they're helpless. And I think a lot of people view adoption this way. Like I think for a lot of people who adopt in third world countries, they see it as kind of like a rescue mission. And the goal doesn't become keep the child in a good and healthy loving environment. The goal becomes rescuing the child from poverty and then bringing them into wealth and privilege. And those are two different things, because in the first case, the poor can actually provide a good, healthy environment for children. But in the second case, the poor cannot provide a comfortable and wealthy environment for the child. And so the child is someone who inherently needs rescuing because the poor can't provide the type of environment that Westerners think the child needs. And so adoption is often seen as like a rescue mission and that doesn't just happen overseas. I believe that happens domestically as well, that a lot of well-intentioned white people can adopt babies of different races, believing that they are saving them or rescuing them from their conditions rather than simply providing a loving home to those who don't have a loving home. And those are two very different things. And I believe the former is embodied by white saviors and the latter is embodied by those who don't fall victim to this white savior complex. And again, I think the Bible teaches against this. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God belongs to the poor and they have value and dignity. And the poor are not people who need to be rescued. They are people who need to be uplifted and valued. It it feels strange to say something so obviously true, but they have value and they have worth and they have dignity and they have a lot to give, a lot to contribute and the reason why being a white savior is bad is because white saviors tend to do more damage than they do good and obviously hurting the most vulnerable is not christ-like at all so i think we can safely conclude that being a white savior is not in line with biblical ethics. And so for anyone who wants to bring the accusation to me that I'm just being a woke Christian, I think that we can reasonably conclude that at least the description of what a white savior is, is not coherent with biblical ethics. So for that reason, I believe that being a white savior is actually necessarily not biblical. So you can use the phrase or you cannot use the phrase. I use it now for the sake of convenience, not just to demonstrate that I'm like woke or whatever. Therefore, I don't believe I'm combining ethical categories anymore. So being a white savior is not good and Christians are not called to that. That is not Christ-like. And just to be clear, I'm preaching to myself here because like I said at the beginning, I often wonder, am I a white savior? Like I have to look at my own mission work and ask the question, am I doing more harm than good? Am I injecting myself where I don't belong? Am I not empowering these people the way that I should? Am I not listening to these people the way that I should be? In essence, am I not being Christ-like? And I'm not just saying that to justify blasting at everyone else, because Christians do that all the time where they say, like, you know, oh, I struggle with this, too. But really, the only reason they say that is so they can like blast at everyone else and they've done the like removing the log from the eye thing, even though what they're really doing is removing a little speck from their eye. I guess they kind of flip it. They remove the speck from their eye and then they start calling out the logs in everyone else's eye, which is not the way Jesus said it should be. And so I'm, I'm not just doing that. I'm not just saying, well, you know, I struggle with this, too, anyways back to blasting everyone else. No, I'm serious. Like, The reason I'm thinking so much about this is because I look at my own life and my own mission work and ask the question, do I fall victim to these things? And so I've put a lot of thought into this and not just for the sake of other people, but for myself. And so now that I've articulated what a white savior is and why that's not biblical, I want to ask the question, what is really at the core of what makes someone a white savior and where does that come from? See, I believe that at the center of what it means to be a white savior is power. I don't think you can really be a white savior if you don't come from a position of privilege and wealth, in essence, power. See, it's hard to have money and not have power, and it's hard to have power if you don't have money. The two usually go hand in hand. And so, by definition, white saviors come from a position of power. And one of the key words in mission work is empowerment. And so, you see that word, power there. And so a lot of what it means to empower is going to affect how we actually go about helping people. And I think that there's really two ways that people go about empowerment. Like, I think there's really two working definitions. If you go around and ask people, what does it mean to empower someone? Like you want to help them, you want to empower them. But what exactly does that mean? I think that you would get two different definitions because there's really two different approaches to what empowerment means i think in the first case and i'm going to just like guess and say that this would be the most common one i think that empowerment to most people means simply the elevation of a person who is powerless up to a position of power and i think the focus is really put on the resulting position of the person you're trying to help so it would be kind of like a president appointing a dear friend to a high office and it doesn't really inconvenience the president at all like he still has his position of power and it's still a position of power elevated slightly above the friend that he's trying to help. And so I can't remember if this was like a thing in other schools. I'm just learning as I get older, all these things we did in elementary school that I thought everyone else was doing. And then I realized that was just my school. But one of the things we had at our school that I think was pretty universal was this thing we called Chinese cut which is where you're like in line and then your friend comes up to you and says, hey, can I Chinese cut you? Which means he cuts behind you. So basically you help your friend at no inconvenience to yourself. And I think that's kind of how some people see empowerment is kind of like letting the poor Chinese cut them. Like the poor come up to them and you're in line and then you say, hey, yeah, just get right behind me. I got you, bro. And then you still have your place in line and you've also helped someone else who did not have a spot in line. So it's like you've done a good thing, but you still get to keep all of your power and privilege and everything like that. But I think that's like a really common view of what it means to empower people is you use your position of power to empower others, but it doesn't really cost you much. Like, yeah, it costs you time and energy and you need people like supporting you and donating to you in the process. But ultimately you leave unscathed. You still have your privilege and wealth in your position of power. And then you can easily go back to the same life you had before. But I think there's another definition of empowerment that isn't as common. And I think this one is actually more in line with scripture. I think that there is a perspective on empowerment that can be viewed as an exchange of power for a lower position. And I think under this definition, you actually trade power for something else that puts you down to a lower position. Like you actually lose in the end, you give up your power. It's not just about using your power to help someone else, but you actually give up the power that you have, the power and the wealth and the privilege and someone else who doesn't have power gets it. And so I guess this is kind of like a zero-sum approach, which might not always be the case, but I believe there is a biblical precedent for this. I believe that Jesus, when he came here, set the example of this. He abandoned power. Like he actually gave up his position of power and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I think that Jesus set the example for this in the way that he called people to give up what they have to follow him, the way that he demanded the reckless abandonment of earthly possessions in the name of following him. Because Jesus sacrificed so much, and he actually lost a lot for the sake of serving those whom he loved. And I think that's the example that's been set before us. I think we as Christians have to look at our lives and ask, where is their power and privilege in my life? And how do I actually give that to someone else? Like not just use it to help someone else, but actually give that to someone else. Those are two very different things. And I think those are the two different definitions of what it means to empower someone else. I mean, the early Christians literally sold themselves into slavery and then donated that money to the poor. Like that's the extreme example that they took from the life and ministry of Jesus. And I think I just don't really see that in the church today. Like, I think I see a lot of Christians who want to give, but only in so far as it doesn't really affect them. Like they can make little sacrifices and little inconveniences, but to really affect them, I just don't see that very often. And I think there's a reason for this. I think that this exists within the church because churches are run like businesses. And I'm going to say this every episode if I have to, because I think this is the core reason why Christianity has become what it is today. It's a powerhouse of money, a lot of corruption, selfishness, isolation, self-centeredness, and politics. And I don't just mean like government politics. I mean, churches are like heavily political places. And I think the reason that it's become like that is because the church is a business. I mean, that's what businesses are like, right? And a business is not going to raise up humble, selfless, sacrificial servants. Instead, a business is going to produce a lot of self-righteous, closed-minded, prideful saviors who believe that they're the solution to all the world's problems. And I believe that we will not address this problem until we address the problem of churches being run like businesses. Because as long as churches are run like businesses, I believe that this white savior mentality is going to be an inherent part of that. And so I think the way that we imitate Christ, I think the way that we imitate a savior without ourselves becoming white saviors is recognizing that fundamental difference in what it means to give yourself and to give yourself up. It's just one word, but that word makes all the difference. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the work we do in Liberia, feel free to visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at Standing Side by Side. That's one word. If you feel alone and would just like someone to talk to, feel free to reach out to me. I'm so grateful for all who have already. Your stories have impacted me, and I pray that mine has impacted you as well. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.